Welcome back to the True Transformation Podcast with me, your host, Josiah Novak, owner of thetruetransformation.com and author of Diet Suck, now available on Amazon. Today, I'm joined by special guest, Alex Feinberg. Alex is a former Major League Baseball player and now actually is turned to a fitness professional. Uh, He just recently wrote a book called 10 Easy Wins for Easier Fat Loss. Uh, Alex and I sit down and we actually have a massive conversation. One of the longer podcasts I've done in quite some time, uh, but we just drop incredible value. And we talk about a lot of things, including intuitive eating, how to structure a nutrition plan that works for you. Some of the biggest mistakes people make when trying to lose body fat or just transform their lives. We get in depth on a lot of topics. I think you're really going to enjoy this longer podcast, much longer than normal. I think we go about an hour and a half today. So we just have an incredible conversation. Alex is a very well-spoken guy, really nice guy, really down to earth, but really knows his stuff as well. Plus, he has experience of being a former professional athlete uh, at a very high level uh, and relates it to fitness and how a lot of people approach success in fitness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Alex Feinberg. Welcome to the True Transformation Podcast with your host, me, Josiah Novak. Welcome to the podcast. Here's my daddy, Josiah Novak. Hey, just a quick reminder, we have a program called Train Twice. It's a minimalist training program for people who don't have a lot of time to hit the gym every week. If you go to traintwice.com, you can check it out. It's a program that only requires two days of lifting every week. So if you only have a couple hours a week of free time to be able to get in the gym, this is a perfect program for you, especially if you're trying to build muscle, lose some body fat but not have to be tied to the gym all the time and not have to make it to the gym four or five times a week. We also include a minimalist nutrition strategy that allows you to create meals, stick to your nutrition plan, and do so in a way that's very effortless. So you don't have to spend hours and hours in the kitchen every day. If you go to traintwice.com, you can get the program now for a really, really good price. We're actually, it's about 30% off right now for this month. So go check that out, traintwice.com. If you're trying to build muscle, lose fat, but do so with two workouts a week. All right, let's jump into the interview with Alex. Yeah, you're good. So it's interesting that you brought up playing with Ryan Zimmerman in high school because a lot of people don't realize that the people we see on TV, the, the rich and famous celebrities, often struggle with the very same things um, that other people do. Mm-hmm. In the case of Ryan Zimmerman, he has the yips. He, he was a gold glove third baseman. Right? He was yep. one of the best defensive left side infielders in the game. Um, but over the course of multiple years, he could no longer perform a very basic activity of throwing the ball across the infield. And people might think, oh, you know, Chuck Knobloch was like that, or, Mm. you know, there's guys here and there who get the yips who, you know, um, on the Cubs, uh, Lester, you know, cannot uh, pick it off at first base. And people kind of, because they don't know these, these individual players, they can objectify them and they can kind of like compartmentalize and say, Oh, well, he's just weird and has this one problem. Lester's just weird and has this one problem. It's like, no, actually throwing baseballs is a really, really hard thing to do when millions of people are expecting you to do it right. And so the more um, mental you get about is my, you know, is, is the pressure I'm putting on the ball, right? Is, is my grip, right? Am I throwing is my release point, right? all of these things start circulating in your head 
if you start getting in that wrong mental path. And a lot of times it's really, really, really difficult, not just for a high school player, not just for a college player, but for professional players and for professional players at the highest level to break out of that downward spiral. And so you see a guy like Ryan Zimmerman, you just won a world series, but he still can't throw the ball across the, across the infield. He's operating and playing essentially mentally wounded, but he still does it right. And he's still a contributing player. And a lot of people don't realize like all of the, the impediments and injuries that they have, they're not unique to them. A lot of people experience them um, at every level and, and we all need to find a way, a path forward. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just been so interesting for me, you know, going through competitive sports, seeing a lot of people who grew up in an alpha position, right? They were the man on their team. And then they get in a position where they're backpedaling and they're no longer necessarily the man of the team or the, or the man of that situation. And all of a sudden they lose the magic that they had um, when they were thought of as a leader. And so it was so interesting to me growing up to see these guys who were just you know, untouchable in high school. Like you'd think that these guys are going to be first round draft picks, like major league all-stars. And then they get to the college level, like the college level. And all of a sudden I'm a better player than them. I'm like, what's going on? Like you're, I can't hit a ball 400 feet. You can hit the ball 400 feet every time. You're faster than you You can throw harder than me. Why are you not not better than me? And it's just, it's a weird mind game. And, And that's sort of how I started getting cued into all of these mental tricks that could be used to reimagine yourself in a different situation to enhance uh, you know, your own performance capabilities based on the situation that you're in. Yeah, this is super interesting stuff. And it's funny, you, you mentioned the, the baseball and now, or the, the baseball example, because as a catcher, right, growing up, my entire career was in the spotlight, basically, right? Because besides the pitcher, mm-hmm. I'm the guy who's got the ball more than anybody, right? In fact, if you, over the course of the game, if I catch the entire game, I'm the guy who's got control of the baseball more than anybody else. People don't realize that they think of the catcher is almost just like a, like just an accessory, right? Mm-hmm. But he's very important or they're very important in the game itself because there's a lot of management. There's a lot of, you know, signals. There's a lot of, you know, moving players around. Like you're the, basically the, the captain of the ship, right? Um, and I remember I went through periods of time as I went to the next level, right? Whether it was, okay, T-ball and then you go to pitch, you know, coach pitch and then you go to pitching and then you go to travel AAU or whatever. And the pressure starts to build because as you get better and you're surrounded by better players, well, all of a sudden you're like, oh, geez, everybody really gives a crap about what I'm doing yeah. right now. You know, and it's yep. like you start to think. And so there would be periods of time where I did have similar, like you said, like the yips where I'd throw it back to the pitcher and it would just sail over his head, right? And I'd be like, yeah. what just happened? Like, that makes no sense. Right. Like, what am I doing wrong? You know, I've, thrown, I've done this one million times, right? I've thrown right. the ball back to the pitcher a million times. And you have to almost just like find a, I found, I guess I called it like my, my happy place, right? Where I was like, yeah. it was just something that I knew if I move my arm a certain way every single time, yep. it's going right back to him, right? Yep. Boom, right to the chest, no issue. And it's, but, but if you allow that, that negative thought to creep in, it's like a virus, right? Yes. It starts to, starts to take hold of you and you don't feel like the same person anymore. And so I, I understand what you mean and, and, and you're right. And I'm really, this is going to be awesome to dive into how we can apply it to our, our nutrition habits and mm-hmm. how we can apply it to a lot of things. Because you're right, man. Like there are guys at such high levels that 
Uh, I think it started with the movie Rube or the movie Big League or whatever it was called or Major League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the guy, the catcher named Rube or whatever, <laughs> couldn't throw it back to the pitcher. Like, right, it was like, right. But that's actually a real thing. A lot of guys deal with this. Right. A guy like Zimmerman didn't, didn't let it basically take his career and, and destroy it. He, he moved to a place where he could still move forward at first base because yeah. he's got gold glove. He was always, in high school, this guy was unbelievable. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. he was an automatic, you know, highlight reel every game, right? Yeah. But now, you know, he's like, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice that strength I have in order to still contribute and move forward mm-hmm. uh, in a way that doesn't destroy my career or the team, right? right? So, you know, that's a mental – I mean, God, people don't understand moving to a position that's so different. Third base and first base, they might look the same, but they're mm-hmm. <laughs> completely different. And right. it's, it's, it's a testament to his mental strength, really, because, I mean, yes, he had a mental weakness with the, with the yips, but – he was able to somehow overcome that, which is incredible. Right. And I think, you know, that, that's actually a, a, a nice segue to, um, you know, what I sort of uncovered with my own dietary habits, because when I played, um, I actually tweeted about this yesterday where, you know, I played at the amateur level, college level, professional level, and my perception of my own ability was inversely correlated with the level that I was playing at. So mm. as an amateur player, before I got my, my first hit as a college player, um, when I was a high school player, I thought that I was, you know, elite, elite, right? By the time I was a professional, which could actually be classified as elite, elite, I no longer For thought sure. I was that good, mm. right? Uh, because I was surrounded by people who were better than me. And I started questioning myself with basic things like throwing the ball across the infield. You know, I had, I personally struggled with the yips for like, you know, a couple months, uh, my yeah. last year, um, not so much during games, but more just like getting warmed up. And, um, what I realized, you know, over the course of, you know, trying to put myself in a mindset where I could comfortably play defense is I couldn't intellectualize throwing, right? Throwing is only something that I could do when I trusted myself and I trusted my ability, my, my irrational ability to navigate a situation. Mm. And that's one thing that I, I took from baseball is that I'm a very, you know, numbers, rational, logic oriented person. Um, and baseball people typically aren't, I think, because the more rational numbers oriented, the harder it is for you to turn that off and actually play. I think sure. that's the reason why a lot of the guys who are really good are not necessarily that numbers oriented. And there's the clash between the baseball guys and the analytics guys and the guys in the front office don't understand how the players think and the players don't understand how the guys in the front office think. And I think it's because different neural circuitry is required to excel in different, in each separate function. In any case, um, I, I, I realized through my performance in baseball that my body knew things that my mind couldn't. Right. Mm. And, and there was a limit to the logic and rationality that I could apply to my uh, physical performance. And so I think that in conjunction with a little bit of, you know, you know, 20 something year old male arrogance, you know, told me that my body probably knew the amount of the appropriate amount of food to eat. Um, And I actually experienced some success even starting doing that occasionally in college, where, you know, I was always wanting to bulk up, right? Because I, I got recruited as 165 pounds. By the time I got to school, I was 185 pounds. But back then, yep. you know, guys wanted to be big. All the guys sure. who were hitting home runs were on steroids. And, but yeah. you, so you sort of thought like, oh, if I want yeah. to hit home runs, I need to weigh 200 pounds. 
Right. So I would eat a lot, right? I would eat a, a low fat, high carb diet. Um, when I was in college, now we were working out hours a day, you know, sure. four plus hours per day of training practice, whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, I wasn't, I really wasn't drinking or doing any drugs or anything like that. Um, yet whenever I would force myself to eat food, I would always get fatter. Right. Mm. And I noticed that if I, if all I did was eat around my hunger windows, I would basically gain the same amount of muscle mass, but not gain fat. Mm. Whereas if I was eating towards caloric goals, um, I would almost certainly eat too much. And, and I was worried about deviating from a caloric goal place based plan to an an intuition based plan because I had to eat uh, on a caloric based plan for you know, a year or two to get the results that I got initially. Mm. Um, and I think that was a great transition period where I could recognize, I could look at a food and I could say, okay, you know, this is the, this is the macro profile of this food in all likelihood. I think that's a great skill for people to have, um, to just be able to look at a you know, piece of steak, piece of chicken, bread, whatever, and just kind of know how it profiles. Sure. That being said, after a couple years of that, I found, counting calories to be dysfunctional because mm. it was all it was doing was leading me towards consuming an arbitrary amount of calories that didn't actually happen to correspond with my body's caloric needs as, as evidenced by my bodily changes. I would get fatter when I would count calories where I would, you know, be lean. I'd be like 6% body fat, which is fatter than I am now, but it was lean for me at the time. Sure. Um, and these are calipers, you know, if people are listening, yeah. oh, I don't know, like, how do you know what your body <laughs> Be like, careful. Well, the, the bro scientists will come out and attack you. <laughs> yeah. Like they're all estimates. Nobody knows what their actual body fat is. So if we're just <laughs> right. changing numbers, it's just based on just a, a measurement, it's just data. It's, it's based on a common system, uh, you know, right. a common understanding of, 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 you know, how to, how to compartmentalize or how to, how to segment people. Like I'm not actually, four percent body fat because a hydrostatic test says i am but the test <laughs> does say i am so right. like we can use that in terms of um, the same test every time you know, right give you some feedback that you're you know whether you're progressing or not right and, and so and so it's like okay that's interesting like it's actually easier for me to do something that's lower um lower impact it's like it's just mm. i just eat when i'm hungry eat a lot of protein-based food when i'm hungry um and, you know, after doing that for a few years and kind of stumbling across a good mix of, of training, you know, the further I deviated away from competitive sports where I had to show up and I had to hit training sessions and I couldn't schedule my own rest days, right? I had to show up because the coach said I, I needed to show up. I needed to do someone else's training program. The more I got away from that, the more I allowed my body to recover when it told me to recover, the more I allowed my body to not eat when it, I wasn't hungry and allowed myself to eat when I was hungry and allowed myself to lift when I wanted to and to run when I wanted to, that sort of, you know, combination of training and nutrition program has frankly led me to continue to make progress that I never thought was possible under fixed plans. Now the challenge with something like that is it's not scalable. You know, how do you tell, and I think that's the reason why these types of plans don't exist because, you know, how do you train someone to train based on his intuition? If his intuition isn't that, 
that, that well-developed, like, it's really difficult for me to convey with words exactly how I feel sure. to, to a novice, right? The reason why I didn't lift yesterday to a novice, it's like, well, my body felt like I couldn't perform the lift at a level that I needed to, to get something out of it. So I didn't do it. I can, I've been lifting for almost 20 years now. So I can tell, you know, before I even address a bar, before I even step into a weight room, like there's a good chance I can't improve on my lift last week. So why am I here? Right. Sure. And, you know, I think that's, that's one of the differences that I see with my program and other people's programs is I think my program tends to align itself more with a body and like your body does not operate on a, a weekly schedule. Weeks are things that humans invented, right? You're on a sure. four day a week split. Like, okay, great. Your body doesn't recognize you know, a four day a week split. There's nothing magical about, about segmenting a program up by, by seven day periods or by, you know, uh, segments of three, seven day periods or four, seven day periods. It's like your body just recognizes days and nights mm. and, and you can train it or not train it. Um, but as much as you want to apply a mechanical framework to progress, your body's not a machine. Your body is, you know, it's like an organic, um, thing. And, and the more you can be cognizant of the ways in which it deviates from a machine and the more you can treat it like not like a machine, if it shouldn't be treated like a machine, I think you can maximize, um, output in certain capacities and also minimize the emotional stress because a, a huge amount of emotional stress that goes into training and eating is like people doing things that they don't want to do. Mm. But like, if you really, really, really don't want to do it, like they're, oftentimes there's a reason for that. Oftentimes it's like, it might, you know, especially if you're, if you are a motivated person, like, you know, I want to get in the gym four days this week, but like my body is just telling me that it's not going to be productive if I'm going to get sure. in there four days this week. So I'm only going to get in there three days this week. Like that's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. No, I mean, so it, it is actually, so intuitive eating or intuitive training even, right? Um, it's, it's a, what I would probably consider to be a controversial topic these days only because there's such a lack of information or there's a lack of understanding around basics, right? Mm -hmm. Around basics uh, of nutrition, around basics of working out. You know, I, I talk to guys who are in their fifties who have no idea what protein calories, right. carbs, you know, like it's not something that's taught as, okay, this is a something basic you should understand as you oh, go through life, right? It should be. It should be mandatory. Oh, 100%. When you get out of high school, you should be able to, to know like four main strength movements, right? You should yeah. be able to know how to properly, you know, squat, deadlift, row, pull up, press. Like you just know how to do that. And you should be able to look at a plate of food and segment the mat. Like be like, okay, there's probably like 40 grams of protein there. That's probably about 700 calories. It's probably about, you know, hundred grams of carbs or something like that. Like right. we expect people to know chemistry that they're never going to use. We expect people to know all sorts of things that they're never going to use. Why don't we teach them, teach them to understand their body and understand the, the nutrients that go in it, into it. Like seems like a no brainer to me. Sure. I think, well, and in my opinion, it, it probably starts from the fact that the people who are, you know, teachers, whether you want to classify parents, you know, school teachers, mentors, whatever, 
you know, if we look at data, right, most people are not in shape, right? Correct. Most people don't have control, whether it's a generational issue or, you know, whether it's, you know, people just didn't put an importance on it for a good chunk of time and never, you know, transferred this, this knowledge onto their kids and whatnot. There's a lot of reasons for it, but I would say it starts with the fact that most people in charge of teaching just don't have these things mastered themselves, right? It's very hard to teach something when it's not something you've already mastered, right? I mean, or if it's not something that's been a part of like, you know, your standard curriculum <laughs> for however long, you know, history and biology and chemistry, those things have just been systemized and it's very, you know, historical and it's like, okay, it's very black and white. The mm -hmm. other thing too with fitness, and I think you'd agree, is that we have a real issue on our hands when it comes to the fact that fitness is so divided, right? Everybody thinks that it's so black and white. It's so cut and dry. It's either this or that, right? So it's either you're counting calories or you're an idiot, right? Or it's like either you're going keto or you're going to go to hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Or, or you're going to die young, right? Or you're mm -hmm. going to go carnivore, you're going to eat fruit. It's like, hold on. There is a way to understand calories, right? Understand macros, yeah. understand how to you know, set a calorie deficit and still become an intuitive eater like yourself who can look at a plate of food, you know, cause not to backtrack for a second, but you're, you know, I see your pictures and I see where you've come from too, you know, cause it's always important in my opinion to look at, well, how, how does this person actually apply these things through the course of their life? Sure. And you have come from someone, yeah, you were an athlete or whatever, but you know, baseball isn't necessarily, and I, you know, I'd raise my hand here. I'm not, you know, I'm not a linebacker in the NFL, right? right? I'm not like a guy who can run a four, three and mm -hmm. you know, weigh 250 pounds. That's it's just not, we're not freaks. Right. Yeah. Um, we're probably better athletically than like the average person. Right. But, and baseball levels, is a very athletic yeah. sport, but it's also, you know, there's, there's different types of athleticism involved, but right. anyway, so the reason I, I say that is because you've been able to now reach and it seems sustain what I would consider to be an elite level of body composition, right. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, full visible shredded six pack mm -hmm. as well as performance, right. Being able to go yeah. in the gym, be strong, be cardiovascular, strong, um, be able to do you know high intensity interval type training and what, and whatnot. Right. And also be able to enjoy food that most people would consider like, you know, like your, your Twitter handle applies yeah. like a little bit gluttonous, right. Which is cool. Like there's right. no, yeah. People under, misunderstand gluttony. It's, you know, it can be applied in a positive way, but anyway, so yeah. you've been able to do that and now you've gotten to the point where you can intuitively do it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people just don't feel like they have a roadmap to go, okay, I'm tracking my calories. I'm measuring macros. I'm weighing my food or I'm at least eyeballing portions mm -hmm. and it's starting to piss me off because I don't want to have to do this every day. Right. But we got to be able to say, okay, well, fitness isn't black and white. You don't have to always be that or, you know, it's not a light switch. It's not, you're not yeah. either on or off. There's a way to translate those skills and become more of like the, like I say, the riding the bike principle where mm -hmm. when I get on a bike, I don't think about it. Right. I don't think about, Oh God, am I pedaling the right way? I just go, right? right. I just know what I'm doing intuitively. Yeah. But well, how do we get there, man? What, what are your thoughts on how do we go from being like the, the macro tracker, the guy who's measuring everything, who probably got some good results or decent results, yep. but can't feel like they can sustain it because if they go off tracking, then it's like, oh shit, I have, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I write about this in my ebook. Um, yeah. I read your book, by the way. I, I yeah. Read okay. It. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, getting a, a ton of really good feedback, which I'm mm. 
tremendously happy. Absolutely. About. It's tremendous. It's a great book. And I think, you know, I, I identify certain culprits that will not allow me to eat intuitively. And so for me, the consumption of processed foods mm. um, and sugar, as well as artificial sweeteners, um, do, will make it very, very challenging for me to functionally eat intuitively. Mm. And so I think first and foremost, very, very few Americans are um, consciously trying to avoid these types of products. So a, a lot of the people who um, count calories, count track macros, um, and use that as a tool, I think are actually fighting the processed food enemy. Um, and I think because if processed food is going to disorient your ability to eat intuitively, there's two ways you can address that problem. You can stop consuming the thing that's disorienting your way to eat intuitively, or you can put a framework that caps the amount of food you eat because you can't eat uh, intuitively. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, I prefer the former because I know how to do it. I actually know that so much of, of the food that I would otherwise eat has added sugar in it. You know, I post, I, I write in the ebook, you know, all of these sauces, you know, people eat beef jerky. They think they're eating meat. It's like, yeah, you are eating meat, but like a quarter of it's sugar and it actually has more sugar than the chocolate I eat. Right. Um, or, you know, you think that you're eating a healthy salad, but did you look at what's in that salad dressing that you put on it? Oh, you know, there, there's like four grams of sugar per ounce of, of salad dressing. And it's actually just soybean oil and some garlic or something like that. So yep. you should probably be eating that. Um, so, you know, I identify certain things that will say, look, if I'm not, if I'm doing these things, I can't eat intuitively. So I'm just not going to do them. Mm. And then the other thing, and I don't know the science around this, um, and I don't know that the science around it has actually been established is around training intensity mm. where in the old framework, the calories in calories out framework, the caloric deficit framework, there isn't a premium placed around, um, training intensity. Um, it's almost the opposite because in that, in that paradigm, um, if you want to burn calories in the quote unquote fat burning zone, you want to burn calories at a lower heart rate. So you encourage people to do low and low, uh, low intensity sustained, uh, cardio. Yeah. More aerobic um, work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that for me, I've noticed that my appetite is the greatest when I have a medium intensity workout. Mm. And when I start to have extremely high intensity training, um, oftentimes, not always, cause sometimes, you know, I, I am quite hungry after that, but oftentimes when I do very intense training, my hunger is moderated. Mm. And, and so I was doing some research on this about like Lepitin and like, okay, so why I, I, I'm not like tracking my blood. I'm not taking blood samples. I don't know that there's any sort of hormonal change, but I, I just really, really think that the high intensity interval training that I do prior to my lifting, which is also not something that most, um, most trainers would recommend. Mm. Um, I think it does something to my hunger levels to moderate them or curtail them. And so, you know, if you think if, you know, if you take someone who has results that deviate substantially from everybody else, sure. And you look at that person's program and you say, okay, what thing, what things is that person doing that we generally think are not supposed to be done? And for me, it is placing a premium on intensity of my interval training as if it's a lift, you know, I'm progressively overloading myself the way I would for squats or deadlifts. Sure. Um, and I'm doing it before I lift. Mm. Um, and I'm not doing it as long as other people, you know, it's only going to take me eight to 12 minutes. Um, but some combination of those things, uh, I, I very, very strongly believe either creates some sort of hormonal change in me 
and or leads to um, a slightly altered palate that prefers protein um, instead of carbs. And so the other thing I write in the book is the more carbs you eat, the harder it is, or at least me, the more carbs I eat, the harder it is for me to eat intuitively. So every time I, I put my plate together, the majority of the things on the plate need to be meat or animal products. Otherwise, like to me, carbs are just like flavor enhancers. Sure. Um, and if I have a lot of these flavor enhancers, what I'm going to end up doing is eating a lot more meat than I otherwise would. And it's actually going to be proportioned incorrectly. And so you could almost say that, okay, well, that is actually a form of calorie cutting. And maybe it is. But I, I just understand that if, you know, my plate is like 20, 25% carbs or less, and everything else there is, is a protein product, um, that tends to be the amount of food that I should eat to continue to um, improve in my training and continue to get leaner. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. The first point, going back to what you said about um, processed food, right? You know, this is something that I, I try, well, you know, it's it's one of those situations where in today's world, right? Everybody is, it's almost like nutrition has become a religion. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and so people are very, they have their guard up. Right. And so, you know, you might tell someone like, Hey, you know, you can eat some processed food and still lose fat. And that person might, you know, jump for joy and be like, wow, yeah. I, I always knew that. Right. <laughs> then there might yeah. be someone who would try to stab you. Right. Because they're like, well, no, oh, that's, a, that's unbelievable. Right. How, how dare yeah. you? It's blasphemy. Right. Um, I think what we have to understand is, and I tell people, especially our clients that we work with, right, is that fitness is, it's never cut and dry. And it's, it's an ongoing experiment. And there's layers to this stuff, right? Meaning from a scientific argument, can you eat processed food and lose fat? Yes. But yeah. is it optimal? More than likely, no, right? Yeah. Because of the things that it does hormonally, it can, it can do things to your appetite. It can do mm -hmm. things also to, you know, just your health in general. Um, there's a lot of things that go into those foods that are literally put there right. to increase your appetite because right. it makes money, right? It's right. very simple. Well, but people go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. Uh, so I think the uh, pr a proper analogy is like, can you drink alcohol without cheating on your wife? It's like, <laughs> right. Some people I, can for like, sure, but it's also most hard. people can and some people can't like <laughs> that's just kind of the reality of it. Now, right? Can you so add not, crack to that equation and not do it? Uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm less familiar with that simple. Bring on Ed Lattimore. You can Ed Lattimore. Yeah. It's a shout out to my boy Ed. <laughs> but I, I truly think that, that that is the proper framework to look at these things because, you know, you have, you know, lab technicians who are, who are creating these foods to be addictive. Sure. So don't be surprised when they have, you know, addictive qualities because that's what they've been designed to have. That's how you make a product sell a lot is you make the people who buy it need to have it. Um, and so I think, you know, should you stigmatize processed foods um, well, in, in the same vein as you discuss alcohol, it's like, okay, so at best you can consume it responsibly, right? right? Best, we, yeah. we know that you can't only consume it, right? But we yeah. also, we, we strongly suspect you can't only consume it. Um, you know, maybe like a Mick Jagger or something like that would, would disagree and probably <laughs> lived a couple years on ethanol and, and other drugs. Right. But, uh, most human nature, Keith, Keith Richards or something like that, but most right. humans for the most part cannot live on a hundred percent ethanol diet. They need food. Um, and, and also most humans will not do well on a hundred percent processed food diet. And so I think the, the foundation, at least for my framework is there's no food that I cannot eat. There's just foods that I should not eat. Right. And for me, because, you know, I'm, I can manage the stress of my job fine. I don't, you know, I don't have kids yet. So I'm not like, I'm not inundated with all of these stressors 
that a lot of other people might have that are tugging them in 10 different directions. Sure. Um, you know, so I guess, um, uh, I think I'm losing my train of thought, but, um, you know, as it, as, as it pertains to the consumption of processed foods and other junk food, sometimes I crave it. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm just like, man, I, I want some of those Cheez-Its. I haven't had Cheez-Its in a couple of months and I just <laughs> want some damn Cheez-Its. Like I'm going to go to 7-Eleven and buy them and eat them. But the reality is this will happen like twice a year. Mm. Or if I'm like, oh man, I really want to eat that donut. I'm like, I'm a hundred percent going to go eat that, but it's going to sure. happen like twice a year because of the habits and, and it's not because I'm only like, oh man, I had one in March. Like I probably shouldn't have one again until <laughs> September. It's literally like, <laughs> yeah, that, it's literally like, oh, one time in March I wanted it. So I got it. And then it didn't happen for like four or five, six months. I wasn't really tracking it and then it happened again. And then I got it again. And so right. it's like when you have the habit of eating healthier foods and training, your body craves healthier food and it craves training. And so you realize that at least for me that I can give in to these cravings because I don't have them very frequently. And the reason I don't have them very frequently is I don't give in to minor ones where it's like, I, I feel like I have a magnet that's pulling me towards real protein dominant food. That's the default real protein dominant food, real protein dominant food. Um, if I'm going to use a sweetener, it's going to be a maple syrup. It's going to be a real, you know, real sweetener, not an artificial sweetener, or not a, uh, you know, not like a highly processed uh, sweetener. And so that is my default. My default is I'm going to have eggs and bacon for breakfast. I'm going to have meat, maybe a little bit of carbs and veggies for lunch. And I'm going to have meat, maybe a little bit of carbs for dinner. And I'm going to have meat and maybe like, um, you know, a little bit of almond butter and, and, um, and maple syrup or honey as snacks. Mm. And so that, these are my default meals. And so you know, doing that enough, doing that hundreds of times, you know, my mind is like, okay, these are just the types of foods that I eat. These are the types of foods that I eat. Oh, okay. If one meal out of 20, I decide that I don't want to eat like that, like, oh, I really want to go eat that restaurant pizza, or I, I really want to go um, crush these French fries, um, or I really want to go, you know, I don't actually think Mexican food's that bad for, for somebody who's not necessarily trying to, to manage weight because it's just, sure. you know, like meat and yeah. bread. Um, it depends how it's cooked. I should sure. be more specific. I think the burritos that I get are fine. Um, like I, you know, if I'm deviating from that path 5% of the time, it doesn't matter because if you're on track 95% of the time, like I don't even know what the difference is. I've never done a diet where I'm like a hundred percent, hundred point zero percent on track all the time. So realistically, the most successful diet that I'm going to have or anybody's going to have is like you're on track like 95% of the time. And when you have all of these habits built as the foundation, you're going to be on track 90 something percent of the time, so long as you realize that if you stop doing it, it's going to stop working. And I think that might be the, the issue that I might be able to get myself in or, or other people might get themselves in as they experience success. They think, oh, okay, great. I got this thing down. Now I don't have to think about it anymore. It's like, well, Maybe, but if right, you go back not. to do it, if you go, if you go back to doing the things that you did, you will eventually go back to looking the way that you did, if not worse, because you're also older. Sure. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think the more, the more you can set, create the habits or, or set the foundation of a dietary framework that works on autopilot, you know, where you can indulge yourself on occasion 
when you really want to. Sure. You, you know, it's not emotionally challenging to do that as long as you're, you're saying, okay, do I crave this donut? No, I don't crave it. Okay, well, I'm not going to eat it. Like, I'm, I'm not craving the donut. I don't care that all of my colleagues are eating donuts at three o'clock because somebody brought them. Like, am I craving it? No, so I'm not going to eat it. Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, otherwise, you, under, you, you find yourself in a situation where you, you deprive yourself, right? Where you really want it, but then you don't eat it. Well, guess what? A week later, you're going to want two. And then if you don't satiate that craving a week after that, you're going to want three. Yeah. And so I almost look at the, the framework that I have as, in some part, it's cravings management. It's like, the reason I can give in to my cravings whenever I have them is because I have a framework in place that means I don't have them very frequently, which means that it's the most emotionally sustainable program that I can have because I never feel like I'm deprived. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so much to unpack there because I agree hundred percent with, with what you're saying. And I think one of the, one of the keys, right? Because I, I look at, you know, um, we, we have like a, we're big on Twitter, but you know, I, I use Twitter as an analogy. You know, we have, we have a lot of, um, people fighting for attention because they're at certain points in the journey of fitness, right? Um, you know, some guys are, are just now experiencing success with macro counting. And so that's, you know, or fasting, right? Intermittent fasting. That's a big one. You know, everybody, oh, I got lean intermittent fasting. Oh my God, let's turn everybody into an Adonis and uh, fight club and like all this, yeah. bullshit, right? I'm like, at the end of the day, if, if nothing, if, if people listening to this get nothing out of this or right? nothing else besides this next point, right? Out of this, then this, this one point you should take away because this is, this is crucial. At the end of the day, this stuff takes time and work to establish, right? Because from what I'm hearing from you, and, and I think you'd agree, is that we have to go into, you call it a transformation phase or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, okay, I'm putting my foot down and I'm it's time to reverse this shit that I've done in my body, right? This yeah. damage, this weight that I've gained, whatever. It's a transformation decision. There's going to be a period of time where, at least initially, we have to say, yes to the healthy stuff. And we have to say no to maybe the things that we said yes to for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think people going into a, a search for the answer to fitness, right? To their health there. And a lot of times people are looking for the easiest, least resistance route, right? Correct. And I don't think it exists to be honest, I, unless you, mm -hmm. you know, you already have a, a background in it and it's just like, okay, I let myself go for a few weeks or whatever. Right. But if you're coming into this and you've never experienced sustainable, emotionally sustainable nutrition, workouts, that kind of thing, there's a, what I call uh, uh, an initial period where you're going to have to buckle the fuck down, <laughs> right? You're going to have to, and, and this might take longer than people expect, right? I say initial phase, this could be years, right? And I'm just being honest. Hopefully it won't take that long, but if you hire someone, if you work with someone, this can take a shorter amount of time, but you know, whatever amount of time it is, there's no hard set rule on this, but it's habit creation, right? The habits that you have are tremendous where it's like, okay, um, am I really craving the donut, right? Having a, almost a self, a conversation with yourself. Like, Hey, am I really craving this right now? Or am I just, Oh, I see it. Someone brought it in. So therefore my old rule is, Oh, I see it. I eat it. Right we have to rewrite a lot of these rules. I know in your book, you, you even talked about uh, one of your rules where you don't finish all your food on your plate a lot of times, right? Where it's like, well, my mom always told me 
that I have to clean my plate because there's starving kids in Nigeria or Africa or whatever, right? And I'm a total asshole if I don't eat all my, my pasta, right? But it's like, well, we can rewrite these rules and we can, but that requires what? It requires work. It requires diligence. It requires really taking a, a close, hard look at what am I doing? And like you said, you get some success, right? You start to lean out. I see this all the time with clients, right? They, they get insane shape, six pack. Oh my God. Holy crap, dude. You're, you're Jesus. You're fitness Jesus, right? Thank you so much. Right? <laughs> but I'm like, be careful, be careful because it's like, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, pumping iron, but you know, you get to the top of the mountain, right? You, you're the, you're the, the head, you're the wolf. You reach the top. You got to stay hungry in a way. It, you know, it's a, it's a funny wording because we're talking about diet, but you, you have to still be careful that you can't just go, well, I'm done. I did it. Woo. Time to hang up my, my, my cleats and ride off into the sunset. Uh, hold on. We still, we, we do something so much like eating right every day, you know, three times a day, two, twice a day, whatever. We do it so much that it would make sense then that we would s- still give a little bit of attention to it, right? Just, just small bits of attention to make sure that we don't fall back into that old, that old way. Well, yeah, and I, I, I agree with um, almost everything you're saying. I think the, the two twists that I would um, possibly add to that are um, a lot of people when they're embarking on uh, dietary changes uh, want to make no changes. They want to make mm. none, yeah. right? And so the reality for these people is if they make none, obviously nothing's going to change. Um, but there's a couple of different paths they can go towards and they can go towards the, I'm going to change hard and just go through this shock period of adjustment, sure. um, which is the traditional path. Um, we could say that it's, you know, it's, some, it's like a detox, something like that. Like you need to go through a, a multi could be year period where you're just kind of reorienting your relationship with fit, food and fitness very possibly. Yep. Another alternative is a baby step approach where it's like, okay, step one, just don't eat food when you're not hungry. Mm. right? Very simple. Your body, like I, I'm going to tell you, you can eat when you're hungry, but you need to stop eating when you're not hungry. Very basic things. Step one of the diet that you will not be starving, but you also will not eat when you're not hungry. That's going to be the first habit that you build, right? Yep. I think a lot of people, if they just implemented that, you know, I think they'd go from being 30 pounds overweight to like 15 pounds overweight. Sure. Like very simply. Like, you no, know, are you going to get a six pack from all you're doing is not eating when you're not hungry? Most likely not. But if, if you're dumping food in your body that your body's creating physiological signals to reject, i.e. not making you hungry for, very simply just stop digging the hole that you're in, mm. right? Step one, how do you get out of the hole? Stop digging the hole that you're in. And then see in level set. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm comfortable with step one. I stopped digging the hole that I'm in. And I actually gained a little bit of weight. And once you have, once you can um, be convinced that there are easy habits that will result in, in your success, you're more likely to invest in an additional habit. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, I tried this not eating when I'm not hungry thing that that worked pretty well. How about um, not eating the sweetest desserts unless I'm craving it? You know, it's like if I'm craving it, I'm always going to give into it, but I'll just, you know, only when I'm craving it. So you end up cutting down your dessert consumption by 30%. Maybe, maybe, maybe you still crave it a lot, but you're cutting it down by 30%. Well, guess what? Maybe you end up losing a couple more pounds. And the more you can, you can tie your own progress 
um, to the sacrifice that you've made, the more likely you are to make more, more sacrifices because your brain has already decided that this sacrifice will result in this type of progress. I think the, um, the challenge that people initially have is if it's too hard, if it's too painful, they're not able to maintain it. It's like they jump on the treadmill at, you know, if I want, if I, like when I get on the treadmill in the morning, I don't just start at 10.0. Like I start at like six or seven and I, sure. I increase, I'm warming up to that, to a 10 to 11 to 12.0 pace. Right. And so I think when most people hop on that dietary treadmill, it starts at 10.0 and then they just see how long they can hang on and like, Oh, they I stayed plan. on. Yeah. Like I stayed on for six weeks. I did great. I lost 15 pounds and then I face planted. It. It's like, yep. yep. That's because it was going too fast. Right. Maybe you should have started on a slower speed. Um, and so, you know, but at the same time, like food can be an addictive thing. And so I think the way that people approach diet and nutrition, it should really depend on if the person you're working with is addicted to food or not. Sure. Because the, the solutions that trainers and registered dietitians are providing to people around their eating habits um, ignore the possibility that food can be an, an addictive substance. They, they treat it like it's like, like, oh, all you need to do is follow my instructions. All you need to do is smoke less crack and you will be healthier. <laughs> like, okay, great. I don't think that that's an actual detox plan, but fine. Thanks. Thank you for that. Um, and so I think once, once um, dietitians, trainers, you know, nutritionists, whomever, can start working with their clients as if they're people, and, and taking into account that some of these people are actually addicted to the products and they need to be treated like addicts, actually like addicts. Um, you know, you're going to start having, you know, it's just going to be friction. You're going to see what you see now where a lot of people died unsuccessfully. It's emotionally challenging for them. They don't get the results that they want. And then the times that they do try, they can't sustain it. Um, I'm forgetting what the other, uh, the other point that I was going to make um, um, on that was, but um, yeah, I just think that, you know, the more you can lead people, oh yeah, the more you can lead people to want to do the own, their own program, the longer that they're going to they're going to stay on the program. So for example, sure. like I have abs, I never thought I'd have abs, but I didn't get abs by trying to get abs, right? The thing that I'm focused on in the gym is hitting strength PRs and conditioning PRs, right? So like, guess what? Olympic athletes for like Olympic sprinters for the most part are not doing their training so that they can have abs. They're doing their training so they can run fast. Right. right. And it just so happens that a consequence of their training and their genetics is that they have abs. And for me, the reason why I'm not, you know, like top dog, like, oh man, I got these abs. I'm cool. I don't need to work out. I can be sloppier with my diet. Is like, it's addictive for me to try to hit training PRs. I happen to like to want to get better than I was yesterday the week before, the month before, and it doesn't matter. There is, there is no end destination to that treadmill, which it can be challenging for some people. You know, you talk to billionaires who are working like 80 hours a week and they kind of have the same thing, I think. But, you know, for me, it's like if I, if I am not training when I'm physiologically exhausted, if I'm not um, starving myself, if I'm not emotionally restricting things that I'm doing and I simply enjoy hitting lifting PRs and conditioning PRs, that might not be the 100.0 most optimal program for preparing for a bodybuilding competition mm -hmm. or, um, or getting short-term physique changes. 
but it's an incredibly sustainable program for sustaining long-term physique changes, specifically because physique is not the primary concern that I have. And so I'm not like, oh man, I, I trained really hard and my abs didn't budge. It's like, uh, just like, how is my strength? How, how is my output? That's the only thing that I'm focused on because I know, frankly, the output makes me happy. And if the output increases, my physique also gets better. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, a couple major things there like that are crucial for people to understand. One of which is, you know, and I tell this to clients, especially guys who reach out to me who are like, hey, I want to you know, get help. I'm like, well, at the end of the day, we always have to meet ourselves or, or if we're helping someone, we always have to meet them where they are, right? Meaning, you know, if someone comes to me and they're a food addict, and I say, okay, we're going to do, you know, if it fits your macros, like that's a recipe for disaster because, you know, we're, we're ignoring the fact that, hey, you're, like you just said, you know, we're still giving them crack, right? When they're addicted to yeah. crack, right? It's like, I, t- I talk about it all the time, I, or I subtly hint at it, but I have foods that I can't control in my life. I know this because I have gone through many years of trial and error. And I know that, for example, Nutella, if it's in my house, I'm addicted to it, right? (laughs) Like there's no way, sure, mentally, you know, gun to my head, kids are going to die, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I won't eat it, but you know, I'm not going to sit there and enjoy Nutella in moderation. It's just not going to happen. And I've accepted that. So I don't buy it. Right. (laughs) Is I, not, have a, I have a potentially safe but also dangerous alternative. Yes, <laughs> no, I'm sure you do because there are healthy versions or healthier versions of Nutella, and trust me, it's just as bad, right? Yeah. So it's like if I eat Nutella, I have to be very. It's almost like um, it's like you said the, the crack analogy, where I know that if I'm going to do it, the juice better be worth the squeeze because yeah. I'm going to eat it more than I should, and I have to buy like the little packets or something, and you know. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's self-awareness, right? That I, and a lot of people don't have that. They don't have that self-awareness. They, they just go, oh, I'm allowed to eat Nutella. And, and if I hit my calories, it's cool. And some guys out there who are preaching this macro stuff, they'll say, yeah, yeah, it's totally cool. But you ignore the fact that they're historically a Nutella addict, right? They eat one spoon and that turns into 100 spoons and they have overeaten their calories by 2,000 calories for the day. Right. So meeting yourself or, or knowing, hey, I need to start with where I am. I can't jump on the treadmill. If I'm, if I'm only able to handle 4.0 pace and I go to 12.0, well, I might be able to keep up with it for a few weeks, but at some point, man, this is going to, I'm going to fall off the rails. That's why I'm not a huge fan of people who are addicted to foods, jumping into something like carnivore necessarily, because then it's going to feel like you're going from like, you're like, you're literally going to prison, right? Because yeah. you're seeing everybody eat food around you. It's like, they'd probably be better off following something like you suggest where it's like, Hey, Let's just clean up, you know, some of the foods that's on our plate and just listen to our, our, our hunger signals, right? Because that's a good exercise to start. Mm-hmm. Some people might be ready to jump into an advanced state, right? They've been training, they've been very consistent and they're like, you know what? I've seen a couple factors adjusted because mm-hmm. I've got full control over everything. I just don't know what I'm doing wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's crucial because if we cookie cutter everything and we go, oh, everybody should just be carnivore. That's the healthiest way. Well, we ignore the the fact that our emotional brain is the elephant in the room. It, it will right. literally run or wreck shop. It will literally destroy everything in its path if we're not, if, if we're not handling it with care. Right. And I well, think people and- miss that 100% of the time, at least in, not 100% of the time, but a lot of times in the fitness space um, because let's face it, right? It, what sells? What sells is that, that ideal, right? That, every, that certain people have, that, that right. visual or whether it's, 
you know, but like you said, I love this analogy. Like you said, Olympic athletes, they don't go, they don't wake up every day and go, well, you know what, what am I going to do today to get that, that eight pack? (laughs) That'd be hilarious, right? Like Usain Bolt wakes up and goes, how do I stay shredded? Right. He's like, how do I become the world's fastest man? Well, I need to eat appropriately. I need to train appropriately. I need to rest appropriately and do the, do, listen to my body, right? Mm-hmm. If I, if my hamstring is feeling like it's going to pop, well, I better not go out and run a hundred yard dash today because that I'm going to hurt, hurt myself. Right. So all those cues, those intu- intuitions result in a physique that looks fucking incredible. Right. But also a very healthy relationship with training, nutrition, and recovery, right? right. And life, right? And, and life as well, because life is a huge part. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, one of the quotes about of Hussein Bolt that I remember him saying is it's better to undertrain than overtrain. And I think the more elite that you get, you know, a bad, a bad training day for me sets me back three months because I get hurt. Right? Sure. Oh, it's happened to me. Injury. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, you had your bicep. Um, yeah. I, I tweaked my, uh, my adductor a couple months ago and then I, I pressed it too hard when I was building back up. And so it's like only now, like two months later, am I finally starting to squat and deadlift what I was doing, you know, six weeks ago. So it's like literally waking up early and going to the gym that Thursday morning that I got back from Vegas six weeks ago, set my lower body back six weeks. I, I did, I got negative six weeks return out of that workout. And so I think the more advanced that, that you get, the more intelligent you need to be of like, what kind of output am I expecting for this input? What is, you know, what is a realistic um, rate of return that I'm going to get from, from doing this thing? And I think, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point in my training where my, um, my emotional strength, my em- emotional ability to push myself exceeds what my body can handle. Mm-hmm. And so I can actually train harder than I should train. I will sure. get sick. Right. I can, I can finish any workout that I write for myself. The downside is I can't recover from it and I might right. make myself sick. And, and so I think a lot of people, when they're getting started on their fitness journey, they just think it's like drug, the whole thing is going to be drudgery. It's like, no, no, at some point you do hit a limit where you have to be honest with yourself and you actually can't push yourself harder than a certain level. Like it's just not good. It's going to be counterproductive. And I think when most people are getting started on their journey, they just see misery and, 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 you know, they're, they're probably disgusted with themselves, which is, I think, one reason why um, a lot of people are so drawn to these cult type diets is because, you know, think about how, how cults recruit. They, they find people who are emotionally weak yep. and the people who are emotionally weak are the, probably the most likely people to sat, make large sacrifices for the cult leader. And um, all sorts of ideologies take advantage of this type of, of uh, human psychology that you, you're seeing pop up around the internet. There's all sorts of cults, you know, oh, people are like becoming much less formally religious. And then they have all sorts of other 21st century cults that aren't yet really classified as cults, but <laughs> that's basically what they are. And, Absolutely. and so it's easier, it's easy to believe the, uh, the mythological cult foundation of any of these diets, veganism, carnivorism, all of them, they all have, they all have mythological foundation principles. Um, the reality is, and I tweeted this like a week or so ago, is that we don't know anything about the human body compared to what we're going to know a hundred years from now. Mm. And it's really, really challenging for people to look at those who have more than them and realize that these people don't know that much. And so for most people who are overweight, they're going to look at the guy with the six pack who's trained people for 10 years. And they're going to think that guy's an expert. And the reality is that guy doesn't know shit compared to that same person 30 years from now. 
Mm. But it's really, and, and, and so my baseball foundation actually made it really easy for me to play these mental games where imagine this alpha in a beta position, right? You know, seeing all of these, these teammates be really successful in high school and then fall flat on their face in, in college made me realize that the experts of today could be the idiots of 20 years from now sure. with a, a minor scenery change. We've seen it happen in a shorter period of time. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, five, 10, well, you know, when I was just in my early twenties, which was a decade ago, you know, the assumptions and the beliefs that people had around fitness are all, were all inaccurate. Yeah. Compared to today, you know, like we all thought, and and we we were naive too. We thought that these guys were natural, you know, like, Oh my gosh, these guys are 250 pounds shredded. Like what? that's possible. Like, Oh my gosh, all I got to do is eat brown rice and chicken and broccoli eight times a day and yeah. train twice a day. Like, Oh, that's it. That's all I got to do. It makes sense. Right. And stick be that from needle the of decadurabolin in your <laughs> yeah. butt. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're taking a thousand <laughs> IUs of growth and insulin and yeah. on death's, you know, doorstep every other week. It's like, you know, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think like the one, um, one principle that a lot of these fad diets have, they tend to have two principles. It's caloric restriction, though it's not necessarily called caloric restriction, but it yep. ends up being caloric restriction. Um, and it, en- it ends up making people more conscientious about the food that they're eating. And I think yes. most people apply about zero thought to the things that they're putting in their mouth. They eat the way they breathe air. I'm breathing air. That's in front of me because it's in front of me. I'm eating the food that's in front of me because it's in front of me. Um, if you apply any degree of thought beyond that, oh, is this keto? Is this vegan? Is this carnivore? Is this within my eating window? That's one layer of thought that most people never put in before mm-hmm. to start. And so simply by requiring that the adherents do this, all of a sudden you've cut their caloric consumption down by 25%, by 30%. Well, guess what? You take that person who was eating 3,300 calories a day and you put that person on a 2,300 calorie a day diet, no matter how that person got there, that person's probably going to end up losing weight. And so to me, this is similar to the cartographers of 500 years ago where people, you know, they're writing as if the world's flat, maybe 550 years ago. Uh, They're writing as if the world's flat. At the same time, their maps do correspond to coastlines. Like if I'm going to be sailing around the coast of Africa and I have the choice of no map or a map from 1430, like I think the map from 1430 is going to be more helpful than nothing. Absolutely. But we know from modern technology in retrospect that that was a very inaccurate map. But that explorer from 1430 is at the top of his game. He's rich. You know, these women want to date him. He's got all the gold. He's got a relationship with the king and queen. Yep. You know, that guy's the man. Who are you to question that, that guy who made that map? It's like, well, just the reality of the situation is technology always progresses, usually. And the, the expert of today is going to be exposed as getting so many things wrong tomorrow. So just understand that this is a, a process that we will never get 100% right. Yep. That no, anybody who says my answer is the only way is wrong, right? But different tools work for different people. And so, you know, one of the things that I've hypothesized around like carnivore diets or vegan diets is it's very possible that some people um, have uh, heightened sensitivities to pesticides, say, that are sure. in, in vegetables, right? Like, like anything, 
you know, you would expect a normal distribution of responses when uh, based on exposure to a certain pesticide. We already know that the, the, um, the Roundup, the glyphosates that Monsanto uh, puts in, I think Roundup, which is applied to like probably a lot of crops that people eat in the United States are carcinogenic. Mm. And so I would hypothesize that if you look at how people respond to a carcinogenic agent, there is a spectrum of responses that, that, that might elicit. And that spectrum might be range from no response to a very heavily negative response. Well, guess what? The people who respond very negatively might not even realize they're responding very negatively because it requires that they eat these foods for like months or years and they've always eaten them. So they don't actually know what it feels like to not eat them. Well, all of a sudden, if you restrict these foods from their diet over the course of like two months, then they start having, they, they start seeing changes in these autoimmune disorders that they didn't even realize that they had, or they weren't even properly diagnosed. And so they say, oh man, I'm eating, you know, this carnivore diet's the way to go. All of these symptoms went away. Nobody should eat vegetables. And it's like, well, I would disagree with the, la the last conclusion about that, but yes. if if that means that you've avoided um, agents that are inflammatory to you or are eliciting certain responses for you, my belief is you're probably allergic to like probably not the vegetable, but maybe something that's applied to the vegetable or something that's commonly uh, the vegetables commonly cooked in. And that's fine. If you're using this as a heuristic, if, if 60% of vegetables cause you harm, but you don't know which 60% of the vegetables are or why, like maybe it does make sense for you to not eat them. Maybe the same is true with, um, with the vegans, and that's, that's something I'm less familiar with in terms of um, you know, how the animals are raised, but it could be that you know, maybe you're, just, you're allergic to these antibiotics that are applied to most chicken or chicken products that, that, um, that people eat. Most of the chicken that you eat tends to be you know, low grade, um, so the chickens are not free range. Um, you know, they're, they're not raised in a very healthy manner. And you also happen to respond more negatively to that than the rest of the population. Well, you might find that going vegan for six weeks makes you feel better because you've mm. removed this agent that was causing you a ton of problems. It wasn't actually the meat. It was actually how the meat was produced. Great. You might end up with nutritional deficiencies for many, many years if you try to do this, but I understand why this is working for you in the short term. That doesn't mean everybody should do it, but I also understand why it's working for you. And so 100%. I think all of these diets, in my view, are just shortcuts to a better path if they work for the person who adheres to it. None of them are perfect. They all have deficiencies. None of them will work for everybody. Um, and, and I think ultimately, the good news is we as a country are so far behind where we could be that... <laughs> There, you don't need to find the one path forward. There's <laughs> right. probably a hundred paths forward that we could choose from. <laughs> yes. Like all, like try all of them. Fine. I, don't I know it's, it's, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, and I'm, I, I'm safe to say you probably agree at this point because I'm now hearing your philosophies, but like I tell people all the time, we're not a, you know, what I do is not a, uh, I don't have it a prescription, right? For everybody. What I'm trying to do is help you find your prescription, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to explore with you, right? Almost look at me as like a peer. Who's, yep. You know, I've been around the block, right? I've kind of, I've, I've been 15 years of exploration around clients and myself. So do I have the answers to your problems? Maybe, right? I have experience. So we'll probably be able to find some solutions for you that can at least get you to the ultimate solution if there is one for you, right? Mm -hmm. And people ask me all the time, well, what, what do you think about keto? And I said, well, 
We know it's great for epilepsy, right? We know that, that it works tremendously well. We know it works tremendously well for some people because they're, you know, the insulin sensitivity, or maybe they just prefer high fat foods and they feel better and more satisfied, right? We know those things. Is it a magical diet? No, because it doesn't work for me. I know that. I've tried it mm-hmm. numerous times. It's, I feel awful. Is carn- carnivore the same thing? Absolutely. Vegan, same thing, right? My sisters are all vegan. I don't even talk about it, but all my sisters are <laughs> vegan. And they're all extremely healthy, right? They're yeah. all living great lives, but they're also very meticulous about nutrients, right. protein, yes. right? All these things. Yeah. They don't do it just because, oh, I sound cool, right? Like, no, it's, it's because they, it's their philosophies is the way they want to live their life, right? But point of all this, I think you make a tremendous point is that all diets, and I literally you took the words right out of my book, but <laughs> I said all diets work. All yeah. of them, they all work the same way. Restrict calories, help you eliminate something in your life that was causing problems, and kind of give you a little bit clearer framework on how to eat. Yeah. But does it work? Depends on how you define work, right? Because if we define work for the next six weeks as something that gives us positive feedback, then yes, it works. If we look at six years from now, will it be quote unquote working? Maybe not. And, and I tell people all the time too, and I'm sure, you know, like you, you probably have these conversations as well, but it's like, just cause you follow a carnivore style of eating now doesn't mean that three years from now, you'll still be doing that, right? It could mean that three years from now, it's now time to maybe have a vegan phase or, or maybe just a less meat phase, whatever, because yeah. that's what your body is, is, is asking for. Mm-hmm. And you know, like my diet today is different than it was hell five years ago. Why? Because I had no kids, you know, I had no kids five years ago, but now when my son goes to a birthday party and I'm, I haven't had pizza in, you know, three months or whatever, six weeks, whatever it is, I might have a slice of pizza. Is it, is it yeah. healthy? You know, it's five years ago, I wouldn't even have been faced with that situation because I'm yeah. a single guy, you know, just wanted to be fit and shredded all the time. So, you know, it, life gives you many different seasons, not even yeah. I'm not talking about the weather. We're talking about just what you have in your, on your plate in terms of work and kids and family or whatever. And your diet is oftentimes going to be influenced by those things, your environment, right. the quality of food, you know, all these things contribute to which route you're on. You know, like we use the traffic analogy all the time. You know, I, I have a route to get to my gym. What if I wake up today and I drive to the gym and there's a massive accident that's blocking that route? Do I go, well, guess what? Uh, I guess I'm done for the day. No, I could take another route. Yeah. Right. So my body's not responding well to a certain diet. It's not because I'm an idiot. It's not because I'm a failure. It's because this just doesn't necessarily work for me. But there's, like you said, a hundred other fucking ways to yeah. get to that result. Right. And, and I think what, what, makes people fail is a lack of emotional reserves you know Mm. there and so a lot of my training and a lot of i think the reason why i've been able to be you know mentally healthy and like not really hate dieting or training is i know there is a level to which i can push myself and i know that there's a level at which i can't push myself in a sustainable manner and i think most people don't push their limits enough to, to actually be comfortable articulating that boundary. Mm. And so for me, because I've spent so many hours kind of on the fence between this is an appropriate amount to push myself and this is actually a little bit too much. Okay. I can kind of safely stay here. 
or I can safely stay here. And it's actually like really not that hard for me to push myself at like continually push myself at like 95, 97% of max emotional reserves. I can like sustain that pace. It's almost like the way the, my approach to training and fitness is almost like a middle distance runner's approach to running a 5k where it's like, yeah, I can run faster. Like I can definitely run my first kilometer faster in the 5k but i'm not going to because i need to run five of these yeah and so and so i'm familiar with my pacing i'm familiar with my cadence i'm familiar with how like how much emotional reserves i can expend at each juncture whereas most people have no idea and so for them everything is an you know if you haven't run for three you know for three months or three years and you go run a 5k it's going to be really hard the whole thing is going to be hard and the only thing that you're going to be focused on is don't give up right because Mm -hmm. your body's going to tell you to give up the whole time but the, you know, you start doing this consistently, you start realizing like, okay, actually there's a level to which I can consistently push myself. There's a level to which I can't. And there's like a maintenance level where I can just do it and it's not that hard. And I think the more people can train towards understanding these like emotional reserve levels and the more people can eat in accordance with satiation levels and also emotional reserve levels, the more sustainable it will be. Um, but, you know, one of my one of my jobs and something I need to to figure out how to better do is how do I translate these things that I can feel inside me into actionable insights for somebody who doesn't know what I feel, who can't sense what I feel in my muscles or can't sense what I feel in my joints or can't sense what I feel in my head or sure. can't sense what I feel with my cravings. How can I just take this out for me and help somebody else? You know, here's a package. This is what I do. If you want to try it, great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I think it, it took me a long time to do that, right? To be able to translate, you know, because like I was at one point extremely overweight, right? Um, kind of almost went through the same thing you did. You know, I was trying to bulk up for baseball, established horrible eating habits in my early or late teens, early 20s. I uh, was a wrestler too in high school. And so that didn't contribute. Oh, yeah. All those people have just. Oh, it's awful. I was like, normally I was supposed to be 165 as a freshman in high school and I had to cut down to, you know, 145 and, you know, losing 20 pounds as a freshman in high school is awful, you know? And so, you know, terrible eating habits were established early on. So anyway, teaching people how to get on that right path, it wasn't as cut and dry as just like, oh, count calories, right? Like, I mean, sure, you could start tracking calories, but like, what if like you have a horrible emotional relationship with food? You know, what if... What if you are afraid to eat because the scale will go up, right? Like, so I think what I try to err on the side of is, is erring on the side of less is more, um, you know, like you, you alluded to where just one, one habit, you know, Hey, just pick one habit, you know, one Mm -hmm. habit. A lot of times I don't even relate it to food. I say like, Hey, just, just walk every day, you know, just, just wake up and walk every day. Cause it's so low impact. It's typically like we, we alluded to earlier with the appetite. It's a, it's more of an appetite suppressant than it is an appetite a stimulator. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, like going, like I noticed with myself, I've put in a lot of miles running this past year and my moderate intensity workouts made my appetite go absolutely ballistic. Right. Yeah. Where I would want to eat like 4,000 calories a day when I'm normally you know, mid two thousands. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but it's giving people just enough to start to feel to like literally the word feel is being yeah. applied every day. Like, okay, how do you feel? You know, my check-ins yeah. with clients is not like, what were your macros, right? What, yeah. what were your, I mean, I want, we have targets, we have ranges, right? But right. it's like, how did you feel? Like, how are yeah. you feeling after you eat? How are you feeling after your workouts? How are you feeling? Because it's teaching 
them to right. listen to their body right. versus just treat it like this is a machine. You put in this right. much, you get the <laughs> you know, it's like, key in. It's not working. Yeah. Wait a second. I, <laughs> I ate 200 carbs, man. Like, just like you said, 200 grams and what the fuck? I feel like shit, but it's like, Oh, well, I'm just yeah. going to keep doing it. You know, it's like, yeah. no, man, no, you're, you're not a machine. You're, you know, you're, you're very, like I tell people all the time, our bodies are so incredibly intelligent. We're, we're, we're such a, a diverse, you know, we're, we're a human race, but we're all so diverse. We have different experiences. We have different body, you know, compositions. We have different genetics. You know, there's just so much that goes into us that it's not as simple as just going, yes, at the end of the day, I do agree that burn more calories than you eat, you're going to lose fat, right? But how do we construct something that allows for that to happen exactly. long enough and to sustain it long enough to where you feel amazing and you're happy with everything? That's a different discussion, you know? Oh, yeah. um, that's why I can't argue with scientists because it's like, you're not even willing to put yourself in the, in the human race shoe, right? Where it's like, right. you're just in a lab. Like, yeah, I'm in a fucking lab. Like, okay, cool. We, then it's easy to understand scientifically how things work. But what about emotionally, right? You know, you talk right, to someone right, who's right. a psychologist, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, science makes no sense. You know, because <laughs> it's like, well, it doesn't yeah. work that way. And I was actually talking to my buddy last night about um, the, the major league team that he's a part of and kind of thinking through the uh, organizational challenges that they have communicating information. And it's, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter how pristine or scientifically accurate the message is if, the, if it can't be transmitted. Mm. It's literally worthless. It's almost like, you know, if I have this amazing, you know, video, but the pixelation is, is too much for me to upload it to YouTube, I can't share it with the world. Right. Right. So I, what I need to figure out a, a way to do with my video is to either find a, a new platform to broadcast it to, but there's going to be fewer people on that platform, or I need to figure out a way to compress my, my message. I need to compress my media um, to fit the transmission mechanism that people will accept it through. And so if you, if you end up being too precise or too scientific around it, you're really curtailing the, the transmission of your information. Fewer mm -hmm. people are going to understand it. You know, there's a reason why politicians speak with emotion. There's a reason why advertisers speak with emotion. It's because the vast majority of people operate based on emotion. In fact, everybody does, whether they realize it or not. Sure. But, you know, so the more that, that people realize that emotion is the obstacle um, as much as knowledge, um, you know, if you assume the old knowledge is wrong, it needs to be replaced by new knowledge. Um, you know, the, the obstacle is how do you fit what we know into an actionable game plan, right? Like, I understand if we score more touchdowns than the other team, we're going to win, right? <laughs> Thank you for proving that to me. How are we going to score more touchdowns than the other team? Right. What plays? Wait, we're playing Tom Brady, bro. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, we can't just score more touchdowns. Like, you know, <laughs> people, like scientists would be like, no, no. If you want to win football, you you put more points up than they do. Yeah, there's no arguing that. It's like no shit. It works a hundred percent of the time. But I'm a Bears fan. Interval. <laughs> That's not how it works. We have a horrible quarterback every year. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's more. Yeah, it's not that that's wrong. It's just that. You know, it's it's, just it's not, not useful. I mean, in a perfect world, it's like yeah, okay, I drive from point A to point B. Yes. That's how it works. Put gas in the car. I get in the car. I drive. But we all know that's not how it works. Someone cuts you off. Yeah. You know, someone gets hit in front of you. Somebody, you know, runs a red light. You get hit. So you have a flat tire. It, it, there's layers to this game. Right. 
Um, so you got to be willing to peel back those layers. You got to be willing to explore. And a lot of, you know, the, just the fear of doing that, um, I think holds a lot of people back because it's just, they've been conditioned to think in certain ways. Like you said, the cults, there's just this, this cultish approach to fitness. And I think the leaders too are often to blame because, you know, it's just, well, always to blame really in a lot of cases, but it's just like, we have to get away from that level of that type of thinking. Um, well, and, you know? and I, and, and I think there's a reason why um, the cult leaders emerge. And I actually think it's the internet that's, that's mm. causing it. And it's the same thing that's causing political division in our country. I actually believe very similar thing. Um, you have an intersection of a couple of a couple different trends. Number one, we have a lot more information to realize that the experts are wrong a lot than we had 20 years ago. You know, I don't have to go to the library and check out like six books to realize like the thing that the newscast, the newsman told me is not entirely right. It's very easy. I can just go on YouTube, sure. you know, maybe get a couple tweets, be like, oh yeah, that's BS. What, they, what they're trying to tell me is true. So, so there's a reason and an understandable reason for heightened levels of suspicion because we understand that the, the institutions that we formerly trusted are like, you know, sometimes they're telling the truth, sometimes they're not, but we should definitely be critical of what they're saying. The second thing is regarding polarization. It's, mm. It tends to be easy, easier to build audiences, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the diet space, if you're more polarizing. We are this, everything else is the bad guy, yep. right? That's going to start attracting a critical mass faster then, well, you know, the bat, this guy's okay. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? I mean, that's yeah. And, and so, and so because we have all of these communication um, media popping up that allow um, many, many different people across society to build their own audience that way, um, best practices would dictate that they're going to be more polarizing, that they're going to start being more condescending to other people um, to build themselves up. And yeah. so what that means is if you're on the receiving end of that, if you're just a regular American, you're going to be filled with these polarizing messages where you feel that you need to pick a tribe. Um, well, all the tribes are flawed, right? <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> We're fucked up too. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like, that's why I share a lot of my insecurities and my, my, you know, my issues is because I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm I make it no secret. I'm in this to, help a ton of people and also support my, my family. I want to make yeah. a living, right? You got to make money, but my polarization, I'd rather come from a place of love of, of being more transparent, right? Of like, Hey, I continue to mess up all the time. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I've made more mistakes than I can count. And yes, I've reached some level of success. Do I know it all? Hell no. You know, I, I would never, you know, the day I know it all is the day I'm dead and arrived in heaven or wherever right. I learn it all. Right. This, you're hot. I couldn't, dude. It, it's amazing how similar politics are to the diet space and fitness, mm -hmm. right? Because it is us versus them. It's Republicans mm -hmm. versus Democrats. It's bulletproof coffee versus if it fits your macros. Mm -hmm. And anyone in the middle, you know, if, if you're coming up in the game and you're trying to establish yourself in fitness, you're you're almost like, and I, you know, I've, I've started helping guys with business, and I'm like, look. You know, I know it's tempting to become the next bulletproof guy, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm just going to talk about how it's just one thing, one thing. I'm like, you know, what would you be better off doing if you're trying for long-term success is sharing your struggles, mm -hmm. becoming a fucking human, right? Because yeah, you might not be, you know, the Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> like I, right. you might not be the guy who is the most polarizing or the most controversial who has like that flash in the pan. But like you said, 30 years from now, the guys who are preaching that intermittent fasting is the only way to burn fat now, those guys are going to be idiots in, in 
30 years, like straight up, right? Yeah, they might make a shit ton of money for the next two years. But if you want to build something that you can look back and say like, my legacy is this, share your, share your journey, share yeah. your struggles, be a human because there's millions of guys just like you, Alex, right? There's millions of guys just like me. And that's all, you don't need 10 billion customers. You don't need 10 billion followers. I know currency is followers these days, but it's like, look, you can build a very, um, an amazing fitness platform by just being transparent, just being like, dude, I, I can't look, I can't eat Nutella guys. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm going to tell addict. Here's yeah. what I'm doing. Here's what right. I'm, here's how I've structured my life. Here's how I've helped other clients who struggle with the same thing, get the results that they wanted. Maybe this is for you. Maybe it's not, right. you know, but that's where I'm going to stake my, my claim. That's where I'm going to plant my flag. Right. Um, right. But so right. many guys don't want to do that. Why? Because it's not the instant like, Oh, I'm the freaking expert. I'm the man. I'm the alpha right now. Right. But that's the, that's the world we, that's the world we've lived in for a long period, but just t- technology and access to information now and access to people's lives has made it speed up in terms of how fast those things grow. Well, and I think it's also interesting if you think about the motivations of different, you know, fitness influencers, where do the fitness influencers want to help people or do they want to impress other fitness influencers? And, <laughs> yes. and so I think, you know, especially when it comes to training and you know, everybody's, you know, want, wants to have big chest, big traps, you know, six, six pack, low body fat, all that. Most people, most women don't actually want that, right? <laughs> right. Where if you look at the, the most, you know, developed, even natural bodybuilders, right? The pro, the pro bodybuilders are different. Sure. But even if you look at the most developed natural bodybuilders, they have amazing physiques. They have better physiques than I do. They have better proportions, oh, yeah. more leaner, all that stuff, right? Granted, it's temporary for a photo, for like a one day photo shoot, but they have great physiques, right? And, and most people within the fitness space would be like, yes, this person, Alex, has more defined abs than you and has, you know, fuller yeah. arms and has a fuller chest. And I can easily get insecure and say, oh yeah, like that's true. Like I, what is this guy doing that I'm not doing? Right. But the reality is most people, most women don't want to date a man who looks like that. Yep. And most men don't actually want to look like that either. And so you actually have a more appealing message to say, look, like, no, I don't look like that natural bodybuilder, but also I don't do what that natural bodybuilder does. Here's what I do do. Here's where I'm likely to make mistakes. Here's where I'm likely to get off my path. Here's what I do to stay back on my path. And I don't have to be perfect to do it. Whereas the people who are stuck in the old paradigm where, you know, you could, you could present an image of perfection 10 years ago before you had two-way communication between you and your audience and people would believe it. Oh, absolutely. I believed it. So. Yeah, it's um, crazy. And so you can't, you can't present that, um, that message anymore. It needs to be, it needs to be more believable. Um, and so for, for guys like you or me who are, you know, possibly sharing vulnerabilities, um, you know, it should be easier. Yeah. No, hundred percent, man. This has been an incredible show, dude. It's actually yeah. way, gotta, I feel like we could talk for our, with our day. hours. Yeah, right. That's why, that's why I initially said I want to do it in person. We'll have to do it in person soon because let's do it. You know, when we, when people who have like-minded philosophies, who also you know, might have differing opinions, but can be open-minded to, you know, learning from each other and, and discussing things. It's a beautiful thing, man. Like it's, it's, it's awesome. an incredible, it's the only way to progress, right. Is, is yeah. to be willing to, to listen uh, and, and contemplate and to consider, right. Because, yeah. you know, I, I hope, I honestly do hope that 
even 10 years from now that you and I are both sitting here and be like, man, we were such idiots 10 years ago. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Only because that means we've continued to progress. Right? And that means it's easier. That, that means what we're, that means we figure we will have figured out a way to get better results more easily. Yeah. And, and that's a, I mean, hell, I'd love to be proven wrong because, and, and I'm sure you would say the same because then that means we're, we're just getting better as humans, which is incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, we, we've grown up in a time where, you know, we've seen faster progress than ever before on a lot of fronts. Right. Yeah. And I just don't think our emotional intelligence is caught up. Right. Well, I, I don't think it, I don't think we'll live to see the day. In fact, I don't even know if my kids will live to see the day. They may even struggle more than our current, you know, millennial. I don't know if we're millennials, but like, you know, right after us, I think, right. I don't think we're millennials. We, well, we well, might be like, like, like I'm 34. So I don't know. I'm 85. I think millennials are like 82. So we might be, we might yeah. be, I think you're about the same age as me or a little younger, but like we, we, we have to be, I think in that group. But anyway, I say that to say like, this is all such a a big experiment. And while we do have some, some inkling to what we need to do, um, I do hope that, you know, a decade from now, or at least before I pass that I get to see some incredible jumps and really the mental side of this whole thing, right. More than anything, because, you know, (sighs) Everything else I feel like is going downhill in terms of yeah. quality. You know, it's just shit. Totally. You know, totally. I was over in Europe and, you know, I ate food over there that I would normally hear. I feel 10 times better. Everybody there. says that. Everybody it's says it's that. unbelievable. It's scary, to be honest. And so I, I right. came back and I told my wife, we're moving. <laughs> we're moving to London, dude. Like, we're yeah. getting out of here because this is nuts. This makes no sense. Same, same thing when I was in Colombia a couple of years ago because, you know, playing sports, I know, and I'm sure you do too. You notice the musculature, not just of, of oh, yeah. animal or not just of humans, but of animals. And one thing that I noticed when I was in Colombia is not only was the vegetation and like the avocados were like the size of footballs, but like the stray dogs were like incredibly muscular yeah. and their coats looked incredibly shiny. And I'm like, okay, these are all the health attributes of some of a, of a very healthy animal. Sure. Why is this stray dog? Why does a stray dog look healthier than like, American animals like okay so it's something in their food right these yeah. eggs are like more orange than any egg I've ever seen I didn't even know orange uh, eggs were supposed to be orange until I went to Colombia three years ago I was 30 <laughs> right. years old because all the eggs that you eat in the U.S. are yellow I think because of the, the yeah. corn that they feed the chickens yep. and so I'm like oh my goodness like orange eggs animals with shiny coats and lots of musculature tons of rain good vegetation like yeah I, I yeah that's I, definitely I predict that there will be uh some some form of you know population movement towards healthier regions of course people who are successful yeah online especially who don't need to be anywhere specifically to do what they do will start to populate those areas i absolutely think that's true yeah i i want to be one of them right i mean i have kids and so of course it's like you know hey i you know i i want them to to be in the best area for them the problem is that economically some of these areas have not been the you know shining light of you know finance finances and you know infrastructure and and crime control and all these things and but it's they've got a lot of things right they just haven't got a lot of things that america supposedly got right you know but it's it's oftentimes an illusion uh and i experienced it you know just by going to europe and realizing that wait a second we don't have it that much better you know what i mean it's not like it's oh my god america this is just as good, if not better. And the food here is incredibly better. Why would I not be here? You know what I mean? Cause I can run my business anywhere. I could be 
you don't know where I am right now. I could be in freaking Saudi Arabia. You have no idea. You know what I mean? Like it's an, it's an unbelievable, uh, freedom that we have now. So, well, yeah. And and I think like, you know, if I, if I could figure out a way to, to scale my online business, maybe I'm making like $5,000 a month online. That's not enough to live in San Francisco. Sure. But if I was living in Colombia, like that's a lot oh, yeah. of people in Colombia. That's and different. So I, I do think that a lot of people, um, you know, who are, who are in a similar situation, whether it's with fitness or more likely anything else, any other type of online business, you know, it's going to be cheaper for employers to employ people outside of the United States. It already is. You're already seeing outsourcing of, of jobs you've seen over the last 20 years. Um, so if I'm, if I have the choice of, you know, living in San Francisco where some crappy studio apartment with like heroin needles outside is like $1.2 million, you know, which would be like a $10,000 a month, you know, mortgage or something ridiculous. I don't need so it like stupid. a lot. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, where I, I would need to make like $250,000 a year to just kind of like tread water and not really like, just not kill yourself. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like just, just, you know, I can like eat a sandwich. I don't have to make all my food all the time. <laughs> or I can make a quarter of that and go work in Medellin mm. and I have to speak Spanish. Like why would I not make that decision to go live in Medellin? And why would other people not do that as well? And so I, I think that you're going to start seeing a change, you know, not only in work, ha- work patterns, but that's also going to change um, primary, uh, people's investment decisions because they're going to realize that buying that house in the suburbs, it's not necessarily going to appreciate in price when other people aren't going to pay a higher price to me for it. And sure. so it's going to really, really change the way um, communities form. You know, the, the internet has made it, you know, coastlines, tropical regions are not rare. There are, sure. there are like millions of acres of these places in the world. They just lack connectivity to the broader economy in, in most circumstances. Well, if you can give these places a Wi-Fi connection, mm. all of a sudden they become valuable. All of a sudden, the, a Wi-Fi connected place in a Nicaraguan beach is just as close to the real economy as a house in a Chicago suburb. Well, guess what? The price between those two different real estate assets is going to start to converge when the, the value differentiation between the two is also starting to converge. And I think you're going to see that over the next 20 years for sure. Absolutely, man. No, hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I think our kids will experience that uh, even more than we will, but I, I think it's more, I think, it, I mean, I know friends who are already leaving the U S to go work, you know, remotely somewhere else because it's just better uh, yeah. for them financially, emotionally, you know, nutrition and all that good stuff. But Hey, so real quick, man, where can people, um, grab your book? Where, where can they get your book? Yeah. Just, uh, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, handle is sustain gluttony G, uh, sustain at sustain gluttony G L U T T O N Y. Um, I have a Gumroad link in, um, in my bio, um, Sweet. Okay. get that through the end of the first week of December for 29 bucks. I'm not sure when this is going to come out. Um, but hit me up, ask me questions about it. Um, we're not covering fitness, uh, training specifically in this book. It's diet, it's diet approach because I actually think the approach to diet is the, the one thing that differentiates, uh, me from a lot of other people, but I'll have recipe books coming out, um, as well as training manuals, um, you know, in the coming months, but, you know, just getting started, you know, decided once I hit 5,000 Twitter followers, I had to start creating content for people. And so I'll just roll it out as fast as I can. Um, you know, books already been sold in 14 countries has surpassed my expectations of sales by, you know, over five X. Um, a lot of people, professional athletes, regular people are really, really liking the content. My nearly seven year old dad, who I did not think would find any value in it, thought it was actually really interesting. Um, so 
yeah, uh, I'd encourage people to check it out. Uh, lots of people have done it before you. They're, they almost all seem very satisfied. So um, sustain gluttony on Twitter. I'll have a website rolling out um, in a matter of weeks, but I uh, don't really want to plug that yet before it's live. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad we connected. I, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have a platform where, uh, you know, there's a lot of interest for people to get on. Um, but I think it's, it, especially in these days and ages, very, very crucial to filter, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, who, who you allow on your platform. And I read your book and I thought, you know, this stuff is really, really important. So I encourage anybody to uh, grab it. I mean, even if you're a fitness professional, it'll help, right? It'll help you become a better fitness professional. And if you're someone who's struggling to master your nutrition, it's a no brainer. So, uh, I'll put the links to get the book, uh, in the description of the show notes. Um, dude, thanks for spending an hour and a half with me, man. I really appreciate it. Can't wait till we do it again. Yeah. We'll do it in person. We'll get a little workout in and we'll do some content. For sure. All right. right, Have a good day. Good time, buddy. I'll talk to you real soon. See ya. Thank you for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the show. True Transformation.